We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. The hottest next tape you'll find online. Next all day. We bleed blue and orange. This is Knicks Fan TV, your one-stop shop for the ultimate New York Knicks fan experience. News, rumors, debates, post-game live streams featuring live callers. Let's go Knicks, baby! And now, your host, CP, the NY Fanatic. All right, welcome into Locked On Knicks. I am Alex Wolf. Joined, as always, by Gavin Shaw. Joined, not as always, by our very special guest today. We got CP from the wonderful uh, YouTube channel, Knicks Fan TV. He does live post-game after every Knicks game, which is ridiculously impressive uh, and very dedicated. And uh, I, I cannot believe the amount of effort and work that you put into your product, CP. I admire it very much, and I've even been on it a bunch of times. So what is going on, man? How you doing? Alex, Gavin, I'm doing well. Let me say this. Uh, I thought I was going to get a little reprieve from Knicks basketball, you know, a- after summer league and all of that. But um, football season came and went like a cheap thrill. And uh, so <laughs> my, my, my Giants uh, are, are just a mess right now. Hey, so it's, it's Danny back. Jones time. It's, it's Danny Dan- Jones time. The Daniel Jones era has started. And so, you know. It just took the wind out of my sails, man. So it's back to basketball. I'm ready to go. Couple, couple <laughs> well, at least still training camp. Let's go. At least if it makes you feel any better, your quarterback doesn't have mono. So yeah. yet, Sam yet, yet. <laughs> that that was rough then. And yeah. the media keeps making it a point. Like, damn. Like, okay, man. Yeah, Did like, you see man. the graphic Jets put out where it's like him like pointing and it's like out indefinitely mononucleosis. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, it sucks, whatever. That that became like a whole punchline. I'm like, the Jets can't help themselves. It's the butt fumble all over again, right? I know. It's like the butt fumble, but it's like, I don't know. I don't even know how to describe it. It's like the make-out madness or something. I don't know. (laughs) You've been kissing too many girls. Um, But anyway, CP, I wanted to just kind of lead off by just kind of talking about uh, how you feel. The general premise of the show is we're going to get into – talking about uh, all the free agent additions that the Knicks made and what we think that their uh, best case and worst case for this mm-hmm. upcoming year are. But I wanted to just lead off, like, uh, this is your first time on Locked on Knicks. Uh, yep. Like I said, I've obviously been on Knicks fan TV, but 
people here might not be familiar with you, although they should be because your channel is huge and awesome. But uh, I, I'm just kind of curious, what were some of your thoughts, you know, just on this offseason? You know, how did you feel about it? Did you feel like the sky was falling when things went how they did? Did you just kind of feel cool with it? Were you, yeah. were you into how free agency went and everything? Well, I, I would say when when you're caught in, in the hype from the lottery to the free agency rumors and, and then when things actually fall the other way, it's it's hard not to get wrapped up into it. You know what I mean? So it's hard not to be disappointed when we didn't, you know, listen, we were at the lottery party. The atmosphere was electric. We had ESPN was was filming from the party when we cracked into the top four. I mean, we blew the roof off of the place and we we just knew that that we were shooing for, for Zion. So when, when we hit third, yeah, it was a little bit of a disappointment. But then we got back up with RJ and, and we went into summer league. I was there. I was there with a couple other Knicks content creators. We got to see RJ up close and personal. He struggled a bit in the beginning, and, and then he came back to life. You know, you take Summer League with a grain of salt, but it, it was good to see him pick it up down the stretch. We also saw some some positives from Iggy, which was great as well. And then from the free agency standpoint, I would say, listen, obviously when, when KD got injured, it was just like typical Knicks. You know, obviously, with, with all the prognosticators predicting uh, that that we would have landed on him getting hurt and then ultimately going to the Nets, yeah, it was a little, it was a little shock, it, it was a little upsetting. But I think at the same time, when you look at what the management did, going for their Plan B, not necessarily overspending on as they would consider second tier free agents, and and netting some of these veteran guys to more flexible contracts I, I think we ended up having a decent offseason and, and I think I think that's the crucial point that none of these guys outside of Julius Randle and, and even him not to a great degree are, are permanent or even yeah. really guaranteed to be back here next season and, and I guess I, because of that we can sort of take this entire podcast with a grain of salt and we're, we're just going to sort of go over the list and go over mm -hmm. the best and worst case scenario for for all the players the Knicks sign but you you can always say you know the worst case scenario is really you get rid of him after a year so that, and that right. that's sort of the brilliance of, of what the Knicks did um, in rebounding for missing out on uh, Katie and Kyrie but I, I guess without further ado let, let's start off with uh with Taj Gibson uh CP uh, what did you think about that signing in particular and I guess what do you what do you think his ceiling is and what, what do you what do you think his floor yeah. is as a Nick I listen I like the Taj Gibson signing I, I, he he brings a much needed veteran presence kind of like what DeAndre brought last season kind of being the coach's eyes and ears out there on the court getting the young guys together I think he can help tremendously um with Mitch you know, help Mitch continue to be more disciplined uh, in his reads and, and especially uh, off ball on the defensive end. He's going to bring that that rebounding to, to the fold and kind of just be that that adult in the locker room. Obviously, from from a price standpoint, yeah, the, the, the contract was was a little uh, pricey, but being flexible with a with the one year option, I, I didn't mind Taj as a uh, as that acquisition. So what would you say, you know, what's what do you think is the best case scenario for him yeah. this year? And what do you think is the worst case scenario for him? I think best case is him in a backup role, uh, providing that that spark for the second unit on the boards, on the defensive end, on the glass, you know, manning the paint and, and you know, giving us maybe, say, 15, 12 or 15 minutes a night. I, I think that would be ideal for Taj. Worst case scenario, I think. 
is if he's the starting center. I mean, uh, that points to Mitch's durability, right? Which I think is still something that we're, we're not too clear on. Uh, I mean, Mitch was, he was uh, kind of banged up at, at certain points last year with his frame. I'm just not sure. You, you just don't know how he's going to hold up over 82 games. You, you know what I mean? Especially the way that he plays. So Taj being only, he, he's a power forward. You know what I mean? So if you're considering him for major minutes at the five, then I think we're in trouble going forward over the course of a season. Yeah, he's had such an interesting career, like a guy who like came out of USC and he was already like, I think, 24, 25 years old and then was such mm-hmm. a good fit on those Bulls teams. And it, it somehow, even though he's sort of like anachronistic in like how he plays, like you mentioned, he really is sort of a power forward, but doesn't shoot a whole lot of threes, right. kind of a banger, kind of a mid-range guy. I, I, I'm just, I'm interested to see, I, I think you hit the nail on the head. It, to me, like the downside with him is him playing too significant of a role because mm-hmm. I, I mean, I think the Knicks are clearly overpaying him, but as long as it's only for one year, that doesn't exactly. necessarily matter all that much. I, I guess it just, if Mitch consistently gets in foul trouble, this was something we talked about, Tom Piccolo, if Mitch just can't physically hold up to bigger minutes, that, that kind of concerns me. I, Alex, I'm kind of, I mean, I'm interested because we, I don't think we ever went, really went deep on Taj. What, what are your thoughts on him? Yeah, I'm kind of thinking like it kind of along the same lines of what you guys said. I would almost go one step further from what CP said and say that barring any injuries, I don't want Taj to really be getting much of any minutes, which seems kind of wild for a guy that you're paying like $10 million for the year. Uh, But I think that he's realistically the Knicks probably look at him as like an insurance policy. Um, Gavin, you kind of alluded he has a he has an interesting career arc. Like he actually if you look at his numbers and it's the same, we'll get to him in a second. But Wayne Ellington, you can make the same. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it, parallel to almost that these guys are sort of peaked strangely in their 30s. Uh, they're both in their 30s right. now and and they're putting up some of their best numbers the last couple of years. Um, but I, I would preferably, I mean, considering you spent all the money you did on Julius Randle, Marcus Morris mm-hmm. and Bobby Portis, plus you already have Mitchell Robinson there. I, I don't really want Gibson playing. Yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, I, I guess it de- depends on the matchups, right? But if, yeah. if it's if it's not Taj getting the, the bulk of the minutes as a backup five. I mean, you're asking a lot from either a Portis or maybe a Randall in a small ball five, even a Morris, um, to, to kind of be that rim protector. In, in a yeah, backup. I don't know that any of them are a rim protector. That's my right. biggest – like Taj definitely isn't. Exactly. Taj is Taj can at least hold his own. He could put an arm in a guy's back and, and stop him from backing him down. Right. Um, I think – I think Julius can do that too, you know, in certain mm-hmm. situations, but he lacks the length to really compete against the biggest centers in the league. Yeah. Um, Portis just kind of, from what I understand, kind of sucks on defense. So <laughs> right. he's, he's got the right size, but he just, he just doesn't have the right tools. So um, we actually just talked about on the Mitch, the Mitch uh, season review and preview from, you know, last year uh, that he's really the only guy on the team that you consider a rim protector. So if he's not out there, I feel like the Knicks are going to almost be kind of forced to go small. Like I think an ideal lineup, if you have Mitch out of there, is going to be something like Julius Randle and then get a guy like Marcus Morris in there at the power forward mm-hmm. and then fill out the rest of it from there and just kind of try to run guys off the off the floor because you're not going to you're not going to scare them defensively with pretty much anybody but Mitch out there at center, I don't think. Hey, are you in the New York area and looking to promote your business to a young, predominantly male demographic? Then Locked On Knicks is the podcast for you. 80% of our listeners fall between the ages of 18 and 44, and 98% of those listeners are male. As the top Knicks podcast on the market, we offer a unique opportunity to engage with basketball fans in the city. 
If interested in an ad spot or live read, email LockedOnKnicks at gmail.com for more information on pricing and availability. Our rates are very affordable compared to radio and offer a chance to reach an audience on an ever-growing platform. I kind of want to do actually just both of them together, uh, Wayne Ellington and Reggie Bullock, because I feel like they kind of come in as a group and Bullock of the two was maybe expected to be the more significant contributor. And obviously he's dealing with, um, I think, a knee injury, unless I'm, my memory's totally off was on it, that. Was it his neck or his back? I think it was a cervical, oh, back, disc, sure. a cervical think, disc in his neck. Yeah, okay, so yeah it, was, it was pretty ugly sounding. <laughs> <laughs> suffice suffice to say, not going to, I think, expected to miss at least the first month and a half of the season or so, maybe more. And I, I was just wondering, like, how you think that rotation sorts out with those two, particularly when you take into account Damian Dotson, Alonzo Trier, R.J. Barrett, maybe playing some minutes as a two guard, some possible two point guard lineups out there. And, and you could I guess you could argue like both. I mean, particularly Bullock can certainly play the three a mm-hmm. little. But I'm just I'm curious to see how the Knicks go about putting in a designated shooter versus someone like Alonzo Trier, who's more multifaceted, or Damian Dotson, who might even be a little bit more multifaceted, but guys who need the ball a little bit more. Listen, man, the wing it, it battle, the twos and the threes, is I'm so intrigued to see how this plays out during camp and into the preseason and so on. Fizz has the toughest job in the NBA. I said that on, on a most recent show that we did with uh, Terry from the Terry and Trey show. You know, Fizz has to figure out how to balance um, building around the youth, whether whether it's making sure RJ gets his minutes or a guy like even an ISO who had an outstanding rookie year getting his minutes and also win now, right? I mean, if we look at it, we were one of the worst three-point shooting teams in the league. We already know that. That's our uh, one of our Achilles heels, one of many. Uh, we, we haven't been able to improve on that since Knicks tape. Knicks tape was really the the best that we've been in, in terms of uh, beyond the arc when, when Steve Novak was doing the discount double check, man. But when you yeah. look at if you look at Ellington, um, I mean, he shot 38 percent from three, you know, but he took the, he took the most three point attempts of uh, between Ellington, Iso and Dotson. So you could you could argue that he is probably the best shooter on the team. So it, it's going to be interesting in, in terms of how Fisdale kind of allocates those minutes because you can you can argue that even in the starting lineup, a guy like a Ellington might give you a bit better balance than starting RJ r- right away. So would you so to stick with best case worst case? Would you say mm-hmm. best case is that Ellington is actually getting pretty significant minutes for the team? Yeah, I think so. I mean, you're going to need it, right? Unless the, the only thing is this Dotson and ISO also both shot the three ball as well in just lesser attempts. That the thing with ISO is that he, he's very, very uh, selective with his shots. And, and that's one of the things they're having him work on this season is they want him to take more threes. Yeah, that mm-hmm. that that to me is the most compelling thing I've read about him all offseason, that he's really working on shooting mm-hmm. off the ball a lot and like running around screens and catching and firing. And to me, that that's sort of my big question for him. Can he maintain his efficiency on a more difficult diet of threes? In some ways, though, his load maybe will even get easier because he'll get more spot up looks versus um, just off the dribble attempts. But I, I, I tend to agree with you. I, I would love Wayne Ellington playing a significant role, particularly in the starting lineup, just because you do have so many ISO guys, particularly if they're going to go with Dennis Smith Jr. at point guard. You have him. You have 
maybe Barrett, maybe right. Knox, maybe Marcus Morris at small forward. Julius Randle is going to be a guy who does a lot of his attacking off the dribble and has mm-hmm. a lot of just pure isolation possessions. I, I don't mind someone who doesn't need as many shots. And just in terms of shot allocation, I'd rather have that balance between the bench and the starters. And, and to me, and I think you, you were you were hinting at it or maybe you said it, directly the the only question I have is can Damian Dotson make a leap where he's a better player uh two-way than Ellington is this year and I, I think that's probably at least a season away but um, Alex I want to I want to hear your thoughts on that too yeah I'm I'm intrigued by what you guys said you know what I mean because um I I agree that like particularly his volume on threes is really staggering I mean last year he uh for the the latter half of the season when he was with Detroit he shot 37% on almost eight attempts per game from three. Right. I mean, that's that's insane. Those are like really, really good numbers mm-hmm. uh, and really good volume. And that's exactly what they're trying to get out of guys like Dotson and Trier now. I guess like my best case scenario for Ellington would be I want him to be playing spot minutes. I don't want him to be like a starter necessarily yeah. because to me, if he's a starter, that means that Dotson Trier and Frank Nilakina coming off this right. world cup couldn't prove anything in training camp. Because I really think, I think Fisdale is going to go in with the mentality this year of, look, we have all these vets and I want them to push the kids, but we're but still a, we're young, still team. a young team. Uh, uh, that's, that's still what we're going for. for. And uh, you know, that's, that's like, you know, what he's going to want to achieve is to still be playing all these young players. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And, and so if you got a guy like Ellenson starting, that means that, you know, Dotson, Trier and Nilakina all couldn't prove that they could be starters on this team right out of the gate. And, and if Ellington holds onto that job, that's even worse. I, I could see maybe Ellington starting the beginning of the season to make a point, but I hope that he would get, you know, displaced at a certain point and just kind of fade to a, a complimentary role and a mentor role where he could really pass on all the good things that he does to these guys that fit kind of similar archetypes to him, uh, particularly Dotson, who I, th- I think he's very similar to as a player. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm in total agreement. Um, I'm okay. Unless, unless you guys have any Reggie Bullock thoughts, but I mean, I think that's just sort of a wait and see situation. I'm good moving on to Bobby Portis. Well, I'll say, I'll just say about Bullock. Mm-hmm. I think, I think they got a hell of a deal with him. Like, ultimately like the injury is scary obviously yeah. but if he comes back from that safely i mean he was every bit the player that ellington was last year maybe even a little better mm-hmm. and he's what like f- four or five years younger um yeah i mean ellington is almost 32 uh, and i'm i'm pretty sure that bullock is 27 so i mean that's pretty significant um and they have him i mean the deal is like three and a half million this year and then right an option for three and a half next year. Um, so Bullock, I, I really want to see, I would say best case scenario is he comes in whenever he gets healthy, you know, around the halfway point of the season, I'm guessing, you know, by the time he gets healthy, works the rust off in practice, gets a little bit of game time or whatever. I would hope that he comes in and he basically takes Ellington's spot, whatever Ellington was playing off the bench, you know, those like 15 yeah. minutes of shooting threes and all that. He comes in and proves that he's the better player. Because the Knicks can keep him for so much cheaper going into next year, and he could legitimately be a guy that you hold on to that second-year option for, uh, rather than most of the guys that I see either potentially getting traded or just potentially let go at the end of the year. 
Yeah, I, I concur there. Um, I'm looking for spot minutes for Bullock if he comes back healthy. His best season, uh, he, he shot 45% from beyond the arc, right? That was two years ago. So, I mean, like I said, we, we finished uh, third worst in, in three-point shooting percentage, fifth worst in attempts. Uh, I mean, we, we got to let it fly. And I, I think between Bullock and Ellington, they can come in and, you know, give you give you a couple minutes. Like you said, Al, nothing, nothing major. Obviously, we don't want to stymie the, the growth of the young players. But if they can come in and, and provide that spark from beyond the arc, I think that's that's what you're looking for. And, uh, you know, maybe one of these guys are, are tradable pieces by the deadline. I think that would be ideal. Best case scenario. This is a this is a total aside. But can I drop a great Reggie Bullock story on you guys? Because yeah, I don't sure. know when the next mm-hmm. time we talk about him is. Mm-hmm. Right, so like four years ago, he, he ended up on the Suns and I was I was covering Suns practices at that point and only like two or three reporters would show up to Suns practices so and I was like oh I'm gonna I'll write it I'll write a story on him so like I got him like aside like it was the only time I've ever done this in my life it was really cool I talked to him for like 20 30 minutes like wrote the story and then um that night I, I go to the uh, local uh, downtown Phoenix Chipotle which is really sort of the hub of, of culture in uh, in Phoenix it's a big spot uh, a lot of a lot of people there it's only about two blocks away from the arena where the Suns play mm-hmm. and um I go get my food I'm like walking outside and my friends come up to me and they were like yo why'd you just ignore Reggie Bullock and I was like what are you, <laughs> what, what, what are you talking about and he was apparently there with his very attractive girlfriend and he like he nodded at me and I just like didn't see it out of the corner of my eye. So I just like walked like, right past him. And I felt awful about that since because he seems like a great guy. And also it's the only time in my life I'll ever have an NBA player uh, acknowledge me first. So I, I missed out on that opportunity. So that, that's my only interaction with Reggie Bullock. So I'm excited. Gave for him, him, you gave him the, the cold shoulder. Man. I did. I did. I, I hope I hope I get to go to like Nick's media day or something like I'm going to have like a handwritten apology for him. So and I, I hope he's still I hope they didn't ruin things with the girl when like a random like six foot nothing like white <laughs> Chipotle. But, that's kind of a low point. All right. With that, uh, we can move on to uh, to Bobby Portis. Um Interesting signing because he's a guy who just like box score watching. I've always loved. I love how expressive and insane his eyes are. Um, I kind of <laughs> I don't I don't hate that he punched Nikola Mirotic one time. And I think he's I think he's a leg- legitimately good offensive player. I guess my my big question for him is one: Can he be anything other than awful on defense? And two: What was the shooting he showed off in the second half of last year real and sustainable on a higher volume of attempts, or was it just sort of like a Noah Vonley first month of the season thing? What, what, what do you think about all that, CP? Interesting, man, because with Portis, I look for him to be uh, a, a significant upgrade to Vonley, you know, in that same mold. And, and like you said, Vonley, he had a strong first half last year. I'm not sure if it was injury or what, but second half, he really tailed off. Um, and, and so uh, I think that's why they moved on from him. With Portis, it is interesting because the way the whole Marcus Morris thing played out late, I'm not sure if if his intentions and and the intentions of the, of the Knicks met up early, I'm not sure Portis would have still been here, right? Because I, I it seems like there maybe his acquisition was just a bit um, too much in, in terms of the front court, you know, because you, you have Rand, you already have Randall slated at the four, you have Morris who's gonna need some time at the four. Soon enough, they're gonna want to try Knox at the four. So, I, I mean, it, it seems like there, there's already a logjam at the position. 
But at the end of the day, I mean, a guy that shot 40% from three damn near last year, averaged 14 and eight, you know, that that's a guy that can can obviously contribute off the bench. So I, I definitely like to see if, if Portis can give us that next season. Yeah, for sure. Like, I, I'm I'm in total agreement with you. I think what ended up happening with the Marcus Moore, I mean, you can literally even see it right down to their contracts. Like, they yeah. literally were signed to the exact same contract almost, except for Morris uh, only is a, a straight-up one-year deal instead of the one-plus-one like what Portis signed. But, I mean, you could see it right right from that. They literally both signed one-year $15 million contracts. And I feel like the Knicks probably, on that first night of free agency, they were like, we're going to get all of our ducks in a row. I mean, they made really, outside of the Morris move, they made all of their free agent moves in the first, like, two days. Um, yeah. I think they, they had a plan to get it done quick, get their guys signed. They had them figured out who they wanted to sign already. Um, once the Durant and Kyrie thing fell through, which I think they knew further in advance than anybody is letting yeah. on. Like it seemed like they came out there guns blazing. Yeah. You know, they knew and all, all those names that come out before the first, I feel like Ian yeah. Beck gave, he gave you all the names. He gave you, um, Randall. He gave you Portis. He gave mm-hmm. you Alfred Payton, Morris, um, Ellington, Morris. So. Yeah. Like you said, they they already knew where they were going. They already had their ducks in a row. So I, I think what happened was they they made a run at Morris. Morris said, no, I'm going to sign with the Spurs. They said, okay, well, we're signing Bobby Portis then. Like, no no dawdling here. Like, we're not going to mess around. We're not going to let anybody else steal our guys, whatever. Sign Portis, get the ink dry. And then, you know, Morris goes, oh, you know what? Never mind. I will come. Do you still have cap room? And they're mm-hmm. like, okay, mm-hmm. yeah, I guess we do. Right. <laughs> we can we can make this work. Because then they everything happened with the Bullock deal, right. too. So then they're like, well, we got some space now. So sure, why not? Um, so I, I think that's just kind of how things went down. That said, though, yeah, I, I, I'm with you. I, I don't know necessarily that I think um, Portis is going to fall into the same sort of trap that um, that Vonley did. Because mm-hmm. I, I will say, like, Portis got better as the mm. year went on last year. Granted, he switched teams at a certain point, but uh, he was shooting 38% uh, in the first half of the year with the Bulls for whatever playing time he did get. He only played in 22 games. And then once he got traded to Washington, he played in 28 games and he shot 40% from three. And it was on over four attempts per game, almost four and a half, which is really good volume for a power forward. Right. Um, I worry a little bit that he's got too quick of a trigger, you know, with that being said. Uh, yeah. But, you know, I, I think he's he's shown that he can have some consistency in his three-point shot. Now, I was actually – I just looked this up because I was curious because mm-hmm. I think he's going to play a lot of backup five. I don't necessarily mm. think he's got the chops to play backup five. And, the, you know, I already mentioned there's no other real rim protector on this team other than Mitchell Robinson. That That's my concern, man. That's that, why I go with Taj for right now, but I but, hear you. But that said, he did – once he went to Washington last year in those last 28 games, uh, the Wizards were 4.2 points better in net rating with him out there than without him out there. So – because they went from being with him out there, they were a plus 0.5. And without him out there, they were a minus 3.7. So it's a 4.2 point swing that he influenced there. So I don't know. I, I, I'd i be lying if I said I watched enough tape to say that he's for sure going to be a decent enough two-way guy. But I, I'm hoping that maybe he can at least hold his own well enough at the five spot, which requires more just being bulky and rebounding than it does... Um, you know, being laterally quick, like if he was playing at the nominal four, uh, maybe it could actually help him a little bit and and could make him a pretty valuable piece for the Knicks as that backup five. 
Yeah, I, I guess my, my only concern with that is that he was just such a, I mean, I think Tom talked about it last, he was such a disaster as a rim protector. Like, that would be it, but I, I don't know. I almost, I've gotten to the point where, like, you almost have to, like, wipe defense off the board just because the Knicks, like, unless they're really committed to playing Frank and Mitch, like, big minutes together. Yeah. Like, I, I just, I can't imagine a scenario where they're even decent defensively. I, I guess my big thing with him is, like, can he get to a point where, like, he improves defensively enough or you just don't, care about that enough like like can you play like him and julius randall together or all of it, and it's going to be separate because of like <laughs> o- overlapping skill sets and how bad they both are in defense yeah, yeah i i mean i i to you to your guys points i think you're asking a lot from a lot of guys to overachieve on the defensive end um but ideally if, if portis can can continue the production that that he gave you last year especially with the wizards add a little bit of uh, uh defensive acumen to the other side i think that would be ideal um worst case scenario you, you don't know. I mean, he, he could come up with the Canis syndrome or the Noah syndrome. Will, will he be happy with not getting minutes? You, you know, who, who's who's the guy that that's going to sulk that that he's not getting minutes? I don't think every it's going to be kumbaya for for all these guys. You know, hopefully these guys buy in in the beginning. But that I think that's my worst case scenario with Portis is, is that he uh, becomes disenfranchised or disenchanted with the minutes. And, uh, you know, starts leaking stuff out and, and eventually they, they move on from him. Yeah. Now, that's a very real worry, honestly. I, out of all the guys they brought in this offseason, like, Randall, you for sure don't have to worry about because they paid him and, and he's talented enough that he's, you know, a cornerstone now mm-hmm. of what the Knicks have going on right now. So he's not going to have to ever worry about minutes or anything like that. He's never going to be frustrated like that. And then everybody else, though, I mean, out of all the other guys – I think Portis is the most volatile. Right. He's definitely, he's the guy that's got the rep for being kind of hot-headed. You know, he punched a dude in practice, you know, yeah. on his own team. You know what I mean? Like, he's, and, you know, he's he's shown to have a little bit of a, you know, a hot temper to go with those crazy eyes. So, I definitely <laughs> worry about that, too, for sure. Just, I mean, just, just make sure he doesn't put his hands on Mitch, man. That's my guy. Oh, no yeah. doubt. Yeah, I mean, I can't think of it. Honestly, I, I will say this much about the Knicks. I find all of the, and you know, I'm probably just rose colored glasses because mm-hmm. we're Knicks fans, but I look at these guys and I'm like, man, I actually really like all the, all the, you know, personalities on the team this year. Like I, there's not a single guy that I'm like, shit, I wish he wasn't on the Knicks. Like going into last year, it was like, oh, Cantor, I wish he wasn't on the Knicks. Yeah, I don't like him. Like, oh, Courtney Lee, like he's a cool dude, but he just doesn't fit here. I wish he yeah. wasn't on the team as a distraction. You know what I mean? Like, Oh, Tim Hardaway. I don't know if he can ever really be the guy that we need him to be. Like, I feel like he's getting paid too much. I don't like him either. You know what I mean? Like, there's nobody like that this year. I kind of just am going in like, I want to be pleasantly surprised by everybody. Yeah, I don't know. I think this this exercise was designed for Bobby Portis because I've been sort of racking my brain. We haven't we haven't talked about his upside this whole segment. And that's I think there's like a reason for that. Like, what's like what represents success? for Bobby Portis next year? Like, is it sort of like the big man version of Alonzo Trier where he just comes in for like 15 minutes, scores 10 points, grabs five rebounds, and you're like, all right, good job, Bobby. You, you kept you kept it even. Like, I just, I, I think because his skill set and like in so many ways, he's just sort of a poor man's Randall. I, I don't know where there's really room for him to succeed in a big way. And I guess that's, and in some ways, I think the best case scenario for him is almost getting like an early second round pick for him if another team like likes him and wants to take a shot on him. I would say... 
my super simple best case, worst case for him. Best case, he proves to be a serviceable backup five behind Mitchell Robinson or the closest thing that they have on the roster to a serviceable backup five. Because really, like, someone's going to have to move move down a position. It's either going to have to be probably him or Taj mm-hmm. and then, you know, Julius in, in uh, spot minutes. But it's he's the most likely candidate. So best case is he proves that he could do that. He could play, you know, 20 minutes a game backup center behind Mitch, get some buckets, get some rebounds not be such a sieve on defense that it completely sinks the team. And then worst case scenario would be to me, just he can't do that. And then he's sponging up those minutes at four. And then maybe he gets benched like CP was saying. And then, you know, tempers flare because he's tired of playing behind Marcus Morris. Who's also kind of a heated personality. Um, You know, things like that. I I wouldn't want to see stuff like that happening. I I don't want to, Biggest thing I don't want to see this year is a fractured locker room because I despise that crap. Like, I despise all the locker room drama. And it feels like it always follows the Knicks, whether it's, you know, Cantor or, you know, there's, I'm trying to think who the, I mean, Courtney Lee even did it once for as much yeah. of a professional he was, you know. In general, he did it before of complaining about playing time and this, that, the other. I'm tired of that crap, man. Like, I just want everybody to finally buy in and be okay with what they're assigned. All right, and that's all for today. Uh, we've gone a little long with CP here and, and you know, uh, took a little more time than we thought we were going to take, but that's a good thing. It's a good thing for you guys. But we're going to split into two parts, so we will be back tomorrow finishing up this discussion with CP from Knicks Fan TV. So uh, until then, have a nice day, and we will talk to you tomorrow. Peace out. Welcome into the Locked On Knicks podcast. Uh, we are back with CP of Knicks Fan TV. And Alex, we are getting right back into it, going over the remaining Knicks free agents and determining their best and worst case scenarios. Yeah, and that includes checking in on Alfred Payton and whether best case scenario for him is actually playing less. Uh, Marcus Morris, whether the best case scenario for him is not being on the Knicks by the end of the year. And Julius Randle and whether his best case scenario is all-star or bust. And all that and more is coming up next on Locked On Knicks. You are Locked On Knicks, your daily New York Knicks podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Knox foul from behind. Count and one. As Fisdale pumps his fist. What he does is contagious. Oh, Robinson with a catch and slam. Across the lane to Trier. Trier drives Because infectious. Payton, uh, sort of like a last-minute signing, kind of, kind of an interesting one. I mean, I, I, I'm the person who always complains that the Knicks built around too many shoot-first guys, and Payton is, is kind of the ultimate antithesis of that. 
my worry with him is that like the other component I would look for there is a really good shooter, and he is not that guy. Um, CP, I guess, especially after Frank's performance um, in, in FIBA, how do you think the point guard position sorts itself out and I guess like Peyton's floor and ceiling like fit into that conversation? It's another dogfight, uh, another critical position battle that I'm looking forward to seeing how it plays out. I, I thought Peyton like Portis was another move in, in terms of excess. I wasn't necessarily a fan of the pickup because I just feel like we need to, and, and I'm not going to gonna make this a Frank Nilakina telethon, but I just feel like we need to know where we stand with this kid, right? First and foremost, before anything else. And and they continue to pile on point guard after point guard, you know, whether it was Moody A, Jared Jack, who came in, who's supposed to be the, the, the veteran leader. He ends up getting more minutes than Frank. It's Moody A, it's Trey Burke, who, who storms all the way up from, from Westchester, right? It's Dennis Smith Jr. And now, and now you have Peyton. So... You know, I didn't I didn't like the move. Again, I, I think it it further, you know, puts Frank on, on the back burner. But, you know, the competition could be good for Frank. Uh, from a Peyton standpoint, obviously, you like the fact that he, he can run an offense. You, you know that. I, I think he, he's been uh, proven to do that um, from a supporting cash role. We know that that's a guy that Perry has coveted from last season before they got in on Moutier. He did want Peyton. They, they have the relationship from Orlando. Um, I think best case scenario, and, and Alex, you and I were talking about it earlier. Uh, I think best case scenario is him to be the backup point guard to DSJ. I, I think if this team wants to have anything of a remotely successful season, not saying playoffs or anything, but just just a, a season that you can hang your hat on, I think DSJ has to be the one that that takes that leap and, and helps to be a leader on this team along with Randall. And I think if, if Peyton beats him out in camp – I don't. I don't necessarily see that as, as a good sign, um, especially from from the point guard position. Yeah, yeah. You know, you alluded. We were talking about this on Twitter earlier. Like, actually, the worst case scenario for me for Alfred Payton is that he wins the starting job, because <laughs> that's one position where I feel like you know, with DSJ, a lot of people will believe that DSJ is a guy that can potentially make a leap this year if he can, you know, fix up his jumper. And, you know, get fully integrated with this team finally, you know, like get comfortable and everything. He showed some real flashes after he got here last year. So you, you would hope that with a camp and a whole summer to work on stuff and all that, that, you know, he would be ready to rock and, and ready to take that starting job. So my I think my best case with Peyton is that he would prove that he could play backup point guard well enough, like to the point where some team that's desperate for like either a really good backup or even a starter, you know, that has someone go down with injury or something uh, trades for him and, and says like, you know what, this is a guy that can start for us. He can, he can play defense. He can, you know, score a little bit. Mostly he can pass, you know, that's exactly what we need right now. You know, let's say it's a, uh, I don't know, try to like, like uh, the jazz or something like that. You know what I mean? Let's say, God forbid, you know, Conley goes down and, and uh, Emmanuel Moutier is not cutting it out there. <laughs> Maybe they call up the Knicks and say, you know, hey, we want Alfred Payton. And then, you know, maybe like because Utah is going to be a playoff team, the Knicks could snake a, a late first round pick or something for Payton in that scenario, especially because he has that second year option. So uh, that would be my ideal for Payton. I, it's nothing against the guy. I just I feel a lot better about the incumbent options that were here before 
than I do about the, you know, the prospect of him coming in and sort of taking the reins of everything. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm, I'm in total agreement. I mean, like the super best case is that he figures out how to shoot because I mean, if he, if he was like a plus shooter, he would be shooting I, I, is abysmal. Yeah, no, it's awful. That, that's the thing. He would be like a top 12 point guard in the NBA. The issue with mm-hmm. that is like along with Ricky Rubio, like he's, he's literally, he's like one of the worst shooters at the position ever in like the modern era of basketball. And that's, that's a big issue when you, when you want to be an NBA player. So I, I, I think just any scenario, um, obviously I don't want him to get hurt, but that like clears room for Frank and DSJ and like allows the Knicks. I mean, the, the whole thing with those two guys is like, I, I just want to get a gauge for what they are. And with Frank, like whether it's been because of like nagging injuries last year or him just not being good enough offensively to like sustain him on the floor or, or the Knicks not giving him a fair chance. We've never gotten to see what he is. And like, I harp on that point and I make it again and again and again on this podcast, but signing Peyton, I mean, to me was just indicative of like the Knicks don't think of Frank Nilakina as a real part of their future. And they're like not necessarily inclined to give him that chance, or at least they're going to make it as hard on him as possible. And I'm, I'm hoping FIBA sort of made them refre- rethink that and, and give him a fair shot to beat out Peyton. So to me, just a- any scenario that involves Alfred Peyton not playing over those two guys, I'm kind of, I'm kind of okay with. I, you know, I, I got killed for it on, on Twitter. Uh, Nick's Twitter killed me for it when Fran Fraschilla, I think, was the one that it was uh, talking about Frank's FIBA play and was saying that uh, he he would probably he will probably have a better career after the Knicks. And, and I, I, I agreed. I said I think maybe the timing and the fit is not right for Frank here. And, and everybody killed me. Like, how how could you say that? How can you say the fit? He can fit with anyone. And I said, it's not about how Frank fits with the current roster. It's like, how much more do you need to see between the acquisitions that they've made and his ineffectiveness over the last two years to be optimistic about his future? Yeah, now I'm with you. I, I'm just hoping... I've said, and, and you know, maybe you can comment on this. I, I've had this belief that I think that things are a little overblown with the Knicks supposedly hating Frank. Mm-hmm. I think that I think the Fizdale actually. I think so. This is the first thing I think, and I've said this on on our show before. I maybe even said it on your show once or twice. I think that that Frank confuses Fizdale. Oh, I don't think absolutely. Fizdale, I don't think Fizdale knows what to make of him. He's like. You've got skills. You can play defense, but you're not like my favorite type of player. Yeah. Like Fisdale loves these like attacking, slashing guards that you know just want to get into the paint and score and shoot and you know dribble and you know break down guys in ISO and stuff. And that's just not Frank's game, and it never will be. And so, but I do think that I mean Fisdale's going to give Frank just like I think everybody else. Honestly, I think they're going to run in with open camp this year again, just like they did last year. And they're going to say mm-hmm. every spot's up for grabs and Frank will get a shot. And like everybody forgets, but Frank won a starting job out of camp last year. And Fizdale gave that to him and was like, he earned it, man. Like he shot well in preseason and, you know, we're going to start him as small forward, which was, you know, maybe not ideal, but it, it was something. And then he started a point guard for a little bit of the season. And then, you know, every time after that, after those DMPs, um, you know, he, he had a couple stints where he, started to play well and then got hurt and then started to play well and then got hurt. And that was just kind of the whole thing. So like, I, I I think it's a little overblown. I, I also don't know how much truth there was to the reports that the Knicks would have been willing to deal him for like a second round pick. I just, I feel like that was probably put out there by other general managers or something. Cause that just doesn't seem right to me. 
based off how they talk about him and how they, you know, outwardly project about him. Um, I, I think they actually like him quite a bit more than that, but I guess we'll see. I don't know. It's turned into a whole separate discussion. Yeah. And beating the drum <laughs> about Frank here, but I, I don't know. I'm curious what your thoughts are. Like, do you think that they actually dislike him as much as is reported? I don't, I don't know if it's dislike. I just think it's confidence. Like you said, with Fisdale, he definitely did not know how to use him last year. And I feel like he did go on record at saying that he didn't even know what position uh, that, that he could use him best at last year. And again, I mean, they, they prioritized Moutier over him last year. Trey Burke, Jared Jack, you know, they bring in DSJ, and now they bring in Alfred Payton, who, like I said, as we know, is Perry's guy from Orlando and somebody that they they wanted, and from what we've heard, wanted uh, prior to them getting Moutier. So I just feel like Gavin had said, I felt like they should have went into this thing with with a DSJ Frank camp battle and, and, you know, so that we can see exactly what we have in these guys. We we got uh, Frank in the same draft as DSJ. We, we got DSJ in the Kristaps Porzingis trade. I think it behooves us to get the most out of these guys and to give them the the, the b- biggest opportunity to fail. And, and, I mean, to that point, like, I'd, I'd be perfectly happy with Kadeem Allen as the third point guard. They didn't desperately right. need to bring in a fourth dude. They had someone who proved himself at least to be, I mean, I, I would argue, I and mean, maybe some other teams don't feel this way, an NBA player. So it's not like they were just desperate at that spot. So I, it just, it didn't make any sense to me, but I guess, I guess we'll, they had the money. So we'll, we'll see yeah. how it goes. Hey, are you in the New York area and looking to promote your business to a young, predominantly male demographic? Then Locked On Knicks is the podcast for you. 80% of our listeners fall between the ages of 18 and 44, and 98% of those listeners are male. As the top Knicks podcast on the market, we offer a unique opportunity to engage with basketball fans in the city. If interested in an ad spot or live read, email LockedOnKnicks at gmail.com for more information on pricing and availability. Our rates are very affordable compared to radio and offer a chance to reach an audience on an ever-growing platform. Uh, Marcus Morris, uh, someone who Alex mentioned signed under sort of uh, strange circumstances, uh, probably the first guy to pick the uh, Knicks over the Spurs in quite some time. Obviously, a little bit more money on the table. And I, I mean, I, I said it when they signed him. I think you can you can make an argument. He's the best player on the Knicks from day one. I mean, I would I'd certainly make a case for Mitchell Robinson, maybe even Julius Randle and Alonzo Trier. I know some people would argue over him, but I, I think as far as two-way impact, like there isn't, there is, let's put it like this. There isn't a guy on this team who's better at offense and defense than Marcus Morris. And I think that makes him valuable. And I think that means he has a very distinct and clear role on this team. I would, I, I've seen some people mention that Knox could start ahead of him. I, I'd be shocked if at the beginning of the season, Knox is starting ahead of him. But CP, how do you think he, he fits into this mix? And do you think he bumps off some of the other sign the Knicks had? Do you think he limits the minutes of guys like Knox and RJ right off the bat? And I guess just sort of yeah. what, what's his role on, on this Knicks team? I, I agree with you hundred percent. I love this move when they got him. I couldn't believe that he would ditch the Spurs for the Knicks. I still can't, can't believe it. Uh, no, no matter the contract, but I'm glad we have him. best two way player on the team. No, no, no doubt about it. Um, I think he gives us a much needed veteran presence, another high IQ vet. That, that we can slide in there and, and help these young guys. Um, he can spread the floor. 
He multidimensional. Obviously, he can play a little three, maybe the four, maybe his best position. And and in a in a pinch or depending on on lineups, maybe you go with him at, at small ball five. Uh, I love the pickup in, in terms of him and Knox. I think if, if we're gonna look at it as an act as an asset, right? And we're still in the asset acquisition phase. I would say maybe put him in the lineup if he doesn't kill you at the three defensively i would say throw him in the lineup with the hopes of of trading him by the deadline because i think he's he's the only asset of the guys that we picked up that could yield you the highest return so would you say that's probably your best case scenario best case scenario yep yeah yeah i think so as well i i think that's probably my best case for him which kind of sucks because i want to like him more and Mm -hmm. want him to be here for a long time but i think he will have more than served his purpose if he comes in here, he provides like because really like if we're talking about realistic potential outcomes for Kevin Knox, mm-hmm. you know, a, as far as the ceiling goes, Marcus Morris could be it. Right. Um, I mean, Morris came in as kind of a chucker. I, it's it's easy to forget, but he came in as a guy that wasn't super well regarded defensively. Mm-hmm. Um, his brother was better regarded defensively, Marquis. Mm-hmm. That's right. Um, and and Marcus <laughs> has actually ironically become. I would say the better defender and better overall player of the two, despite, you know, early in his career looking like he was never really going to be that. Um, so I would say that, you know, I would want him to be a good mentor to Kevin Knox and, you know, play some good minutes. The only time I would be like, let's not trade him is if the Knicks are legitimately trending towards the playoffs and it doesn't look yeah. like total fool's gold and keeping him would be beneficial. Like if he's like a huge rotation player. Uh, but other than that, if, you know, predictably, if the Knicks look like they're going to miss the playoffs, ship him out. I mean, it sucks, but send him off somewhere. It, a guy like him always has value to a contender. And even though they wouldn't get a ton of um, – it, it, well, and actually what kind of works in a contender's favor if they pick him up, even if they're capped out, right? is that because of non-bird rights, um, which is just when you sign a guy to a one-year contract, mm-hmm. you can pay him up to – I think it's – 125% of his previous salary. But since the Knicks overpaid him, you know, that could actually uh, work for a contender because then they could say, oh, well, we'll just sign him to a three-year deal at $12 million a season, which is probably his actual market value. And, you know, then he could potentially be with a contender for years to come. Maybe even the Spurs, who knows? That would be a sick move <laughs> if the Knicks could somehow – Trade Morris to the Spurs. Back to the Spurs. Eventually, somewhere down the line. Get him to where he was always destined to be. <laughs> I just imagine Greg Popovich like cursing under his breath and just being like, all right, fine, just just do it. Just fucking just do it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, so that's, my, that's my best case. That's my yeah, best case. That, worst that case is, is that worst case is that he falls out of the rotation, yeah. just expires at the end of the year, didn't even contribute to anything, and that's it. Yeah, I don't know. I think I could see him just like on the court, like being sort of the glue of this Knicks team. Like maybe yep. this is a little bit generous to him, but like he's he's kind of the one guy outside of um. I, I guess I I would put Mitch in this category, but that's like an above average NBA player uh, on both sides of the floor. And with, with just with all the weaknesses you're gonna have, like on mostly on defense and like with a couple guys on offense, I, I just think I just think you need that. And if the Knicks want to be anything close to competent, I think they need him playing like 32, 33 minutes a night. And I, I think he'll be like when the Knicks are somewhat competitive, if they are somewhat competitive, I think he'll be a big part of it. So to me, like his his ceiling 
is almost in in terms of contributing to winning is is almost higher than Julius Randle unless Randle somehow got a lot better defensively this offseason. I I just I, I genuinely believe he could be like either the MVP or the second MVP of this year's Knicks team. And look, if like if Marcus Morris is going to be that guy, your team isn't in a great position to begin with. But I, I do believe the upside is is pretty high with him. And unless there's like off the court stuff, which he's had in his career and like locker room stuff, like I, yeah. it seems like it seems like he's more mature. I, I really, I just don't see the downside being that great because I, I just can't imagine a world where the Knicks couldn't immediately trade him for a second round pick if anything went south. Yeah, I I definitely agree with you on that. And um and let's go for some wins. I mean, yeah, I, I definitely want to make sure that the young guys get their opportunity. But I also think that let's let's try to pick, listen. We won 17 games last year, man. I want to get get off to this season on a on a high note and have this team shooting for the stars, whatever it may be. If it's an A seed, if it's ninth seed, whatever it may be, I want to go for some wins. And so I think putting him in that lineup, in the starting lineup, gives you a bit more balance, especially if depending on who you're going to put out there on the perimeter. You may not be strong defensively there. I think padding Morris between padding Randall between Morris and Mitch. Um, also kind of solidifies the front core from a defensive standpoint. And um, like, yeah, like I said, just brings you that balance. And and as you said, Gavin, from a worst case scenario, yes, he's had a bit of a pass in terms of his emotions. Remember him and Hornacek got into it a couple of years ago in, in Phoenix. You know, does it does it go like the Portis route if he if he falls out the rotation, becomes a malcontent? Um, he, he certainly matured over the years, but that would certainly be my, my worst case scenario. All right, uh, Julius Randle. Let's get into it. I, I'm not even going to tee you up with a question, CP. I think he's he's sort of spoken for. What do you what, yeah. what do you think about him? Best case scenario is, is an All Star bid, man. I think that would be the the best case scenario for Julius Randle. He's gotten better every season since he's come in. If you think about his rookie year, is really a, a red shirt year. He got injured in the first season, um, and, and I think this is a guy we we may have finally gotten a guy who's still um, ascending uh, from a free agency standpoint. He's only 24 years old. Um, like I said, he, I, what he averaged, about 21 and 9 last year, shot the best that he's ever shot from three ball, I think close to 40%. Um, so for, for me, Randall, best case scenario, he, he's an all-star, man. Yeah, that's where I'm at too, honestly. I, I want to see him... I, like if if we're doing this like Mamba challenge style, like I want to see him be like a, a twenty three and ten player this year, something like yeah. that. Maybe even more than that. You know, I want I want to see him average 10, 10 boards a game now, uh, for the second time in his career. He did do that his second year in the league. Well, t- technically his first year in the league because he he only played fourteen minutes that first year, right? Um, before like breaking his leg, but I want to see him do that again. Um, I also. I, I would really like to see him again keep at least plateau his three point shooting. Yeah. But I also want to see him try to average a career high in assists this year. You know, if mm-hmm. he could do all those things and and make an all star bid, that's that's best case scenario for me. Worst case scenario yeah. is he regresses. <laughs> that would be the worst possible thing. If he regresses, if uh, you know, if if the the burden is too much for him, you know, kind of being because they're going to lean on him. They're going to lean on yeah. him a lot as their number one scoring option, their number one option um, on offense, period. You know, like and they're going to want him to facilitate some and do all kinds of things. You know, he's going to be like a honestly like a like a, a very, very 
supersized version of remember remember when they were kind of letting Vonley bring the ball up to court last year? Yeah. And initiate and do stuff like that. I get the feeling they're going to do that with Randall, but they're going to want to do that way, way better and obviously score way, way better and do basically everything better than Noah Vonley did last year, who's, you know, a bench player. Um, but that's that's kind of what I'm thinking yeah. for him. Um, and I, that would be my that, that you know, that that's my main fear as far as a worst case scenario. Yeah, I would say, and real quick, Gavin, I would say, um, well, one correction, he shot 34% from three. I, I said 40, shot 34%, but still a, a vast improvement to, to previous years when he was only in the 20s. Um, so you can you can definitely see a more concerted effort from him to to kind of spread the floor a little bit. You see him working out with Melo. He's working on his on his footwork as well. So Randall's definitely putting in work in the offseason. I would say, um, to your point, on the downside, um, you know, it, with those numbers that he's putting up, will they contribute to wins? Are those going to be winning statistics or is it going to be more of a stat pad? You, you know what I mean? And, and to your point, Alex, definitely want to see him either maintain or exceed those those assist numbers, um, getting the other guys involved. And obviously on the defensive end being, you know, more than average on the defensive end and, and helping out in rim protection with Mitch. I think if he if he can put all that together, he, he could definitely crack the all-star lineup. Yeah, to, to me, I mean, you, you just hit the nail on the head. That's the, the, the way he does that is I just I guess to combine both of your answers is by co- becoming a better defender, passer and shooter. I mean, that's the only way this is doable. That's the only way it's sustainable. That's the only way. It, it makes sense to have a team where Julius Randle is your best player because last season, I mean, there's some noise in, in all these numbers, but when, when you look at how the Pelicans did when he was on the floor with Drew Holiday and Anthony Davis and when he was off the floor and Drew Holiday and Anthony Davis were on the floor without him, they, they were a lot better without him. And the reason for that was because he was one of the worst defenders in the league and that's sort of been the story with him his entire career and why he, he people would be like okay like I mean he's like fun like clearly he can score but doesn't mean anything I mean the answer has been a pretty resounding no for the first four or five years of his career and then the other thing with me is can he become someone who's actually respected as a three-point shooter because yeah. last year he shot 34 percent on a large diet of wide open attempts and that that doesn't really do much for you when like even even someone like Rayshon Rondo who had like a season like a year or two ago where he shot like 38 percent and they're all yeah. wide open it uh-huh. matters when you can draw your defender out, when he can generate room for someone like Mitchell Robinson rolling to the basket. So, and, and to do that, he's going to have to replicate and exceed. It's going to have to be like 37%, somewhere around that mark. And then when guys are guarding him, if he can still hit 34%, that'll be pretty significant. And I think it makes this whole thing sustainable. So to me, he, he just he has to make some really decisive improvements. And, and those separate him from being a negative to being someone who's like genuinely deserving of an all-star berth because of how good he is as a score. Yeah, no doubt. Uh, all right, I don't think I have anything else to add on Julius Randle, if unless you guys do, because um, that seems like a pretty good point to wrap up the show at, right? Yeah, that was awesome. Yeah, yeah, that, that was great, man. Definitely. All right, so you guys CP, have yeah, yeah, CP, thank you so much for coming on, man. Uh, giving us so much time. This went a little longer than I figured it probably would, but I'm very appreciative that you came on. Uh, why don't you tell everybody? Again, a little bit about Knicks Fan TV, what you got going on, about everything for this upcoming season, where to find you on on uh, social media, all that good stuff. Yeah, absolutely, man, and, and thanks again for having me, fellas. Um, Alex, you know, you know, you and I have, have 
going back uh, a lot this year. We definitely worked together, and uh, you, you were the the co-host of the Sunday night post game show. Man, that was a good, that was a great great time, man. So hopefully you can come back on, and Gavin can come back on. And uh, it's youtubecom TV. It's the home of the diehard Knicks fan where we talk about Knicks news, Knicks rumors, and post-game live analysis featuring live callers from the fans. Uh, It's been going very well over the last year and a half or so. The support's been tremendous. And, And, you know, it's just a platform for the fans to have their say, for the fans to weigh in and have their opinion on the team. It's been a a an emotional off season, but it's been a wild ride, and and I think the engagement has been fairly the same. You know, I I was I was curious to see how things would change if we didn't get Katie or we didn't get Zion, but things have been ratcheting up, and I think the fan base is is encouraged by the pieces that we have. It's it's taken us twenty years to finally start to rebuild this thing properly, and I think there there is enthusiasm and interest in seeing how this team kind of rallies around the young guys. And so, again, you know that the platform has been doing well as a result, and and we hope to see more people on the post game shows. We'll we'll be getting started again in a week or so with the with the post game live stream. So we we hope all the fans will come out and and participate. Well, so as a as a testimonial from someone who's been on there and also just watched along, first off, it's it, you got to wait for your locked on Knicks usually till the next morning. You got to wait for your posting and toasting recap till the next morning or late at night, whatever. What's dope about your show is that it's immediate. So yeah, if anybody's listening to us here and like you want you know a fix on game nights, nice, check out Knicks Fan TV. Uh, call in. Text in, you know, whatever you want to do. You, you, you're good about always giving everybody shout outs and stuff as well. So, and I will definitely try to come on at least a number of times this year. Although my locked on Knicks commitments usually make that a little more difficult these days, but I'm definitely going to come on the Knicks fan TV as well. Uh, CP, again, thank you so much for coming on and for taking the time to speak with us. And hopefully we'll have you on here again sometime throughout the season as well. Fellas, thanks again. Let's go, Knicks, baby. Let's go. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.